When you're planning out your next photo shoot, is it based on where you're traveling or a new location nearby that you want to check out? Or maybe you want to try out a new technique or practice one you've been working on and maybe this location is like the perfect place for that. Do you find that your images are hmm, a bit all over the place? Well, if that's you, today is going to really help. Today is all about creating your best work and how what you are focusing on might be all wrong. Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Oh, hello, and thank you for being here. Oh my goodness. Welcome to today's episode of the After Dark Photography Podcast. I want to just do a quick shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported me with the new podcast. I will talk about this more in future episodes. I have them planned out, but it was a big leap to take something visual like photography and say, okay, I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) And you have been here with me listening and supporting me and giving me amazing feedback. And I would just like to say thank you so much for doing that. I have read through every single review that every person has left. Thank you for doing that. If you haven't, by the way, and you can take a moment to go over to the After Dark Photography podcast on Apple and leave a review, that would be amazing. But like, for instance, this one, um, Inspiring and Educational, says, never have I listened to a podcast that hit the ground running in such a professional and relaxing way. Right away, I feel like I'm the only one she is speaking with. It is inspiring and educational. Though I am a photographer and have taught photography, Christine manages to always bring something fresh to her episodes. I will be sharing her podcast with my college students. Oh my gosh, thank you. It says from the the leddy or led, I don't know, I'm probably saying that completely wrong, but thank you so much. Also, if you are here and you are one of their college students, thanks for being here. And I'm excited to hear what you might get out of today. But really just a heartfelt thank you for me because doing this is a step outside of my comfort zone and it's been really, really wonderful. And it's exciting for me to be able to start taking these ideas and putting them together in a way that can be actionable and useful for you. So a quick update in my kind of my personal life, what's going on, what I'm shooting right now. I have an in-person workshop, my first one here on home turf that I have done since before the pandemic. So that's so exciting. And people come in from across Canada and the US and they're showing up right here where I am recording this in less than a week. So I'm excited. Uh, Check me out on Instagram and Facebook for stories and pictures. 
I also am working on a new class, a class all about printing. So that should be dropping um, in August for everyone, late August. It's the number one thing that my masterclass students have been asking me for again and again. And after I bought the monster printer that I have, people are like, okay, but like now you got to teach us. In fact, it's funny, last night on one of our coaching calls, I was just mentioning that about the printing class and they were like, hold on, please tell us it's going to be a prerequisite that we have to buy a really big printer to take the class. Spoiler alert, it's not. You don't even have to own a printer. You can print through other places. But I, for the benefit of enabling, I said, yes, you have to do that. And then the other thing that's just still a bit crazy and super exciting in my world right now is that I have a show up at a local gallery here. So really like the premier contemporary fine art gallery here in Uh, Halifax Studio 21, I have a solo exhibit titled Luminous Night up at the gallery. Amazing. It's there until mid-August. So anyone who is a local Haligonian, I would love for you to go and check it out. And really, actually, that gallery show is what has inspired today's episode. Because the process of curating your own work is actually the thing that can help you start creating your best work. You see, most new photographers spend their time mastering technical details in their images. I wonder if this is resonating with you a little bit. Like, yeah, I've done that. You know, spending a lot of time on specific techniques and learning the how. And I say this because I've been there. (laughs) This is not me being like, I've never done that. No, totally have been there. Because learning a new skill, it can be difficult. And so we focus in on that skill and the individual pieces for that skill. I need to get my focus just perfect. Or I want to start shooting at blue hour so I can get my foregrounds having a lot of depth in them. But now I'm photographing at blue hour. Well, what do I do with reflections? And then when I put the blue hour image together with the Milky Way image, the stuff that's on the horizon is a lot brighter. How do I deal with that in post-processing? And then where should my focus point be when I'm actually out and shooting? And how, what, point in blue hour should I be shooting at? And how do I know that I am in the right spot and that the Milky Way is going to be in the right spot? Like there's a, there's like a bajillion things. Well, I'm exaggerating, but you hear, you understand that we have to think about when we're learning a new technique. And of course with Milky Way photography, anyone who's gone through any of my trainings, you'll know there are lots of different types of Milky Way photos that we can take. So maybe we're going to be shooting with starlight. Maybe we're going to try and do moonlight. Maybe we want to bring out some LED panels. Maybe we want to use a flashlight. Like there's just so many different ways that we can start shooting. Not to mention like if we want to start stacking, if we want to do panoramics, if we want to start using a tracker, like the it, it's not endless, but it could be a very long time learning a lot of different stuff. And the problem here is that when we focus on the techniques and the skills, we're not looking at everything. We're not looking at the big picture of the images that we're creating. When we're not looking at everything as a whole, 
it can be easy to lose sight of what you're doing. It's a bit like learning to cook. You might start out with the basic fundamentals, like you can bake it, you can fry it, barbecue it, or maybe, heck, you're going to do a sous vide with it, whatever. And from there, you might start learning about different food cultures, some Italian here, some Greek here, some Swiss here, and so on. You can learn to make a mad lasagna, an out-of-this-world baklava, and a spectacular muesli. But if you set those all out at the supper table at Thanksgiving, uh, people are probably going to look at you a little bit funny. And of course, you're probably laughing at me a little bit here. That's okay. I'm fine with that. Because no one would do that, right? But when we jump from technique to technique in photography, oh, that is exactly what we're doing. So, you know, normal people would go, oh, it's Thanksgiving. My family likes, I don't know, turduncans. Let's put together a meal that makes sense to go with the turduncan. That, my friends, is the essence of the idea of creating collections. You have a central idea and everything that you do supports that idea. So you have a meal it is a specific type of meal. Everything you do supports that meal. And most people in nightscape photography will say that the idea is photographing the Milky Way. That's your central idea, your controlling idea, whatever you want to call it. Well, uh, no, <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's not. And if you've gone through any of my trainings, you'll know how many different techniques there are for nightscape photography. We've talked about a few of them tonight already. And all of those different techniques, they produce very different fo photos that a viewer is going to interact with. And you guessed it, they're gonna interact with those photos differently based on the different way that they're photographed. There won't be any cohesion. Instead, it's just gonna look like you set out a dog's breakfast for Thanksgiving. If you're listening close to when this episode is being released, so in July 2022, you will already know a little bit about my uh, gallery solo exhibit that I have up. And the show is called Luminous Night. And that should give you a bit of an idea as to what that collection of images is all about. Every single image that I have up in the gallery for this solo show is about exposing the light that is there in the dark and showing the beauty that exists therein. The controlling idea that's a thread through all of my images is that light in the dark. Is there more to it? Well, yeah, yeah, you bet that there is. But at its core, that's what the image is. That's what the show, that's what the collection is about. And that's important because maybe in my catalog of images that I've created over the past few years, I have an image with a really amazing silhouette. 
a matter of fact, uh, I can bring to mind one of my favorite Deepscape images. And it has a more nondescript foreground um, because I actually used the rising moon. So after the object Ro, I shot Ro Ofuyuki, after Ro had risen and I was able to shoot it for a little bit, the moon rose up and I used the moonlight to light the scene, but it was a little bit backlit. So the foreground is a little bit more nondescript. There's not that much information there. Now, I still love it. I think it's a stunning image, but as much as I love it, it does not belong in this collection. It would stick out like a sore thumb. So today we are going to talk about collections, about curating our images, because when we start to look at not just the individual single image, but our images as a whole, our images as belonging to a body of work, that is going to uplevel everything that you do. So the first thing is, what is a collection? So when I say a collection, you might also hear a body of work. It is basically a set of images that revolve around a theme or a controlling idea. Now, for those of us who are here specifically as night photographers, one of the mistakes, and I've already alluded to it and talked about it just a little bit, is the idea that we already have a collection because our images all have the Milky Way in them. Well, that's an okay place to start, but you need to be able to dive down deeper than that. So it's figuring out what is the thread, the piece that connects all of these images together. And I'll give you some ideas today inside of this episode with how you can come up with that and how you can kind of tease that out when you're not sure. So at the end of the episode, I have a couple um, a couple little tips there that I think are really going to help with that. A collection, however, is different than a portfolio. And most of us as photographers are taught that we should have a portfolio, like we should have a portfolio of work up on our website. A collection is a little bit different than that. And you might not start out creating collections. It might happen as you get a little bit more established, as you start taking more photos. Most often I see people start with more of like a general portfolio. Then as you get consistent in your technique and you learn, you start to build up different collections that make sense. And you kind of shift to showing those on your website instead. So your portfolio is really just your best images that you've taken, but they can all be kind of a little bit different. Like you might have, if it's just Nightscape, you might have say, um, a nightscape with a silhouette, one with a blue hour blend, one with a starlet, uh, ones where you have people in them, and then ones where you have buildings in them, and then ones where you just have natural elements. And they might all be really nice and have, you know, you made them, so they look somewhat similar, but there's no controlling idea. There's no thread that puts them all here together. That's when we say it's a collection. So generally, we start out with having a portfolio on our website. And now, this is the part where it's kind of like, okay, my podcast is mimicking my life. I'm actually in the process of being more specific in my collections and how I create and how I think about creating. But 
if you go to my website, so christinerosephotography.com, at the time of this episode releasing, you're going to basically see two portfolios on my website. One of the projects that I have going on in the background, I always have multiple things in my business that uh, need a little bit of attention here and there. One of those is updating my website to actually reflect the way that I'm shooting and the way that I think about my work now. And that's actually leading more into the idea of collections around a specific theme, topic, thread, as opposed to just showing here are nightscape images, here are deepscape images, which is what you'll see on my website right now. So if you're listening to this and it's a couple months down the line, I don't know, maybe check in, see if I've got that done yet. Uh, that'll be interesting <laughs> to see. Uh, but you know, if you were to actually get to see like the behind the scenes, like the work in progress folders on my computer, they would tell a very different story than what you see on my website right now. Uh, no, though, I there is no behind the scenes on the show notes for today's episode. Uh, I'm not showing you that. I like you to think that I'm like a very organized and well put together person. Uh, you might think otherwise if you saw my uh, my folders. I joke, I joke, but it's kind of the same way that like I organize my house, which my husband decidedly does not like. I will take out every single thing from the area that I'm working on and I'll put it in like one general collecting spot. And then only the things that have a place get to come back in one at a time. And it often looks like a bomb exploded for a day or two or but sometimes more. Uh, but that's kind of how my brain works. So yeah, my computer folders look a bit like that too when I'm figuring out my collections. I have what I call dump folders. That sounds terrible, but I've dumped everything into them. So everything is in those folders. And then I put together my ideas and my thoughts and I start pulling out just one at a time and putting them into the correct place. So that's the podcast mimicking my real life. And we'll see how that evolves over the next month or two as I start to update the my online world to reflect what's already going on inside my head. So before we get into how to create collections, how to think about collections, I want to talk about what else can you do when you have a collection? And this is something, this is kind of like a fun exercise to think about. Okay, well, once I do it, let's just forget about like the how, you know, F the how for now. Once I do it, what would I actually be doing with these collections? Because when we create a collection, we're able to use it in a different way than our portfolio. Our portfolio is literally just, oh, here, come, here's my work. You can see what how my technical prowess is, or you can see um, how I approach my images. It, you know, it's literally just like a showpiece for you as a photographer. But collections have this through line through them where all of the images relate to each other. So you can kind of get people a little bit more interested. If you're someone who's interested in selling your work, Having a collection makes it easier to sell. It's more of an experience when someone is looking at all of the images because the images aren't these standalones. Think of it like series in a book. I love series. Like I just, 
I have so, so many series. I think the first one that I seriously read was the Dark Tower series. And I was reading them uh, by Stephen King. I was reading them as they were being released. I remember like waiting. Those last ones took a while to come out. And I was hooked. I was like, what's going on with Roland? I need to know. And a collection is the same idea. Think of it kind of like a series because the images can work as a standalone which is not the same as all book series. They can work as a standalone, but they are so much better when they have their other their other ones around them. So in that vein, it's a little bit easier to start selling things like this because it's not just the one image that you're selling. It's the idea of the collection that you're selling and that gives you more to talk about. So what are some things that you could actually do? So, okay, well, a gallery show. <laughs> if you want to show your work, most galleries, most places that you're going to talk to about showing your work, they want to have things that look good together. That's going to be a collection that you've curated. Calendars. All right, we're in the middle of the year right now, if you're listening when this is being recorded. Uh, So most of us are not in calendar mode, but actually it's in the next couple months when you would start to think about a calendar and put it together if you were going to produce one. Uh, Calendars are fantastic. To have a calendar that has all of these ideas ideas in a visual format from one month to the next is a really um, nice way to present your work. Portfolio boxes, so boxes that have multiple prints in them. Card sets, um, that can be like gifts, like gift cards, or like postcards. Uh, Even, and geez, this is quite a nice idea and you might hear it and be like oh I could never do that but let's just never say never here what about doing a photo book like a tabletop book coffee table book have you ever picked up a coffee table book that was just random photos that had no through line whatsoever well maybe but my guess is you didn't buy it No, we have all of these beautiful images put together around this idea. One of my favorite photo books, tabletop books that I have is dogs jumping in water, catching balls. I, forgive me, I forget who the uh, author is right now, but I love it. I absolutely love it. And it sits up on my coffee table. At the moment, it doesn't because my kids have started trying to color everything that's around. So it's somewhere more safe Once my kids are out of that phase, it will be back out. So let's look at some specific techniques. I want to zoom in on some useful exercises that will help you figure out how to curate your own work, how to create collections, and also some things that uh, you should not do. In fact, let's start there. Let's start with a big mistake that I see, and this is not only collections, but with presenting our work in general. So you know when you're on Facebook and someone has posted an album of their trip somewhere, you click on it and you see there's like 30 plus photos, like maybe there's 100 photos. Chances are you're not going to look through all of them unless it's a place that you like really want to go to or it's a person that you really love. For instance, um, my sister-in-law, when she travels and she puts up her photos, I go through every single one. I like most of them individually and I comment on a lot of them. She gets like a ridiculous amount of notifications for me. Um, 
but I, I really am interested. I love her. I love seeing where she's going. I love seeing what she's up to. Other people who maybe I haven't seen in a few years and it's just randomly there on Facebook, I'm not, I'm not as emotionally invested. So no, I'm not going to pay attention to their images. But then there's that person who will only put up one or two photos. That's it. And maybe, I don't know, I haven't seen this person in however long, but I'll click on their photos and I'll look and pay attention. Because when someone puts up just one or two photos, I inherently know those images are the important ones. Those are the ones that I should be looking at. Those are the ones that hold meaning to them. And if they hold meaning to them and they've narrowed it down to just those one or two images, they're paying attention. And by virtue of the fact that they're paying attention, that means that I am like, okay, well, maybe I should pay attention. Now, is it always the case? Well, no, well, it's not always the case. Not, not everything's going to be a hit. There are some misses, but I am so much more likely to pay attention when it's just one or two images. And the same thing goes for our work. I will post one image per composition. Maybe I took three or four images that are similar on any given night, I will take the time to see which one speaks to me and post only that one. Now, maybe like a couple months later, I'll post an alternate one if it's been cloudy for like a million years. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't seen the stars. Are they still up there? Does it still exist? Are we hurtling towards black hole? I don't know. Um, I might post up one of them then, but I will not. You will not see me post up three or four images in the same post or one after another that looks similar to each other. You will not go on my website and see one image and then see a variation of the same and similar images. If you go on my website, you can see an image that I took of sunflowers. Well, I've gone to that sunflower field multiple years in a row and I've taken multiple photos there, but I take the one best image. That's the one that is on my website. That's the one that I show to people. When you show a lot of images, it diminishes them. It's like, think of it as people having like so much attention to give. You know, maybe they have a cup and that cup is filled with the amount of attention they can give. If you give them one image to look at, they can pour their whole cup on it. If you give them five images to look at, they have to spread their cup out over those five images. So they're not going to be like, oh, this one is so amazing, but this one's so and this one is too. No, they're going to give less attention and impact to all of the images. Now, a small little side note here. Um, this is kind of when we're presenting ourselves. So when we're posting on like social media, on Instagram or on Facebook, or maybe if you still post on places like Flickr or 500 Pics or places like that, uh, or as well, like on your website, very important, do not on your website have more than one image that looks the same. Just don't do it. Don't. It's hard. I know it's hard. I'm going to give you a couple ideas here in just a moment for how you can kind of choose it, but just do one. But I say that, and there is always small caveats here. Um, and this is, I think this is out of scope for this episode because I don't want to keep you here for absolutely ever. Maybe we can talk about this in another one if people are interested. But on Instagram, specifically on Instagram, um, at the time of this recording, carousel posts are actually a really good thing to post where you have multiple images in one post. Because if someone's scrolling through their feed and they see the first image that you've posted and they don't scroll to see the others in the carousel, if they're back on their feed later that day or the next day, 
depending how many people they follow, they're actually going to have that next image in the carousel pop up. So you have more of a chance of getting in front of people. But that still doesn't mean that you should be posting multiple compositions from the same place in one. I think it still diminishes it. There are other ways that you can kind of um, take advantage of of that feature if you're being strategic and trying to get views and stuff like that on social media. Um, You can do different crops. You can show details. You can show behind the scenes videos, kind of stuff like that. But that's just a That's like, as I was writing this, I was like, oh, but there's an exception to the rule, Christine. So yeah, that's how I talk to myself. Uh, So I had to make sure to just point that out. Okay, so how do we figure out which image? How do we figure out what image we should be posting if we're just posting one? Or what image out of a certain night shooting or a certain composition or place should be included inside of a collection? And there are a few ways to do this. I'm going to give you three right now and take the one of these that you you are like, oh yeah, that sounds like me and run with it. But also like put the others in your back pocket because there might be times when you're looking at images and you're just like, I don't know. What do I do? Which one? Which one? Okay. I won't yell in your ear. So number one, The first way, like, how do I figure this out? How do I narrow things down? The first, and this is the one that I use pretty much all the time, gut instinct. Look, I know we have been skewed societally to not listen to our gut and to get in our heads. But I'm telling you, when I go with my gut instinct, it rarely leads me astray. And you might say to yourself, but I don't know enough, or other people have different tastes than me, and so on and so on and so on. I'd like to point out that is getting into your head. It's your work. Furthermore, if you have different tastes than other people, that's a good thing. That's called developing your style. And the more that you lean into it, you will find your photographic style. And let me tell you, when you're true to that, people will find you. There's so many people in this world, it's hard to comprehend. Your people might not find you right away, but be consistent and be you and keep showing up authentically, and they will. So look through your images. Which one? Like, don't get out of your head. And if you're in your head and you're sitting at your computer, go away from it. Go do something. Go outside. Water some flowers. Look at people walking by in the street, whatever it is where you are, just go do something else. Then come back, look at your images and just immediately gut instinct, which one of these? That's generally my answer. Sometimes what I will do is I will take them all. And if I'm in bridge, we're gonna talk about this technique on a little bit of a larger scale a bit later. Um, I will just select them. Let's say there's four images from the night. I'll select them all in bridge so that I'm looking at them in the preview and I'll just say, okay, which one of these? This one. Or if I have two, then I'll go full screen. I'll go back and forth between them. And I will be honest with myself when I'm like, okay, well, which one? This is the image. Number two. Okay. Okay. So let's just say it's just not working. Like I'm trying to go with my gut reaction. Thanks, Christine. It's not working give me something else. So this is where we ask for help. I don't, right? 
groundbreaking. This is where, you know, for me personally, I really enjoy my masterclass group. I see students in there all the time asking for feedback on images. Um, they'll be like, you know, here it is as a vertical crop, here it is as a square, here's the second composition, what do you think? And getting feedback. Now, I have more ideas on getting feedback specifically, uh, so I'm not going to go crazy in depth into that in this episode. You can listen to episode eight if you want to after this one um, called Your Ticket to Growth as a Photographer. And in that episode, you will learn more about getting feedback and asking for feedback um, because there's lots of places you can do it. You could even go to the Facebook group for this podcast if you wanted to. And the link is in the show notes on afterdarkphotographypodcast.com and you could post up in there and ask for feedback. It's a nice safe place to be able to do that. So there's lots of places where you can go and get feedback and ask for help from other people. Third and lastly, you can come up with metrics for rating your work. This can be really useful for you if you are one of my people who has a very kind of techie brain and potentially you might get into your head about things like this. It happens, I understand. So putting together a way to rate your work based on its merit, kind of like when you, if you submit your work to um, juried Uh, judged contests. Uh, Some of them will come back and give you specific ratings and things like that. You can do that for yourself. And this can be a way also to get you out of your head in a way because you're starting to look a little bit more objectively at your work. So how would I go about doing this? I will say for myself personally, I don't have like a step-by-step here are the metrics that I go through for each one of my images. It's more, I trust my gut a little bit more um, when I'm doing this, but I have people who like to go through this kind of process. So here's what I would recommend. Uh, Three different categories. The first category, like skill or technique or technical, something like that. And in here, you wanna look at specifically focus, exposure, and lighting. So how's my focus? has my overall exposure and has the lighting in the image. And you can do whatever kind of scale you want. You can do like a one to 10, you can do a good, bad, whatever. Um, So that's the first one, like really looking at the technique behind the photo itself. Then the second is composition. And in composition, Again, I have an episode that you can go listen to if you want a little bit more on composition. Episode four, The Secret to Better Composition, will go crazy in depth. But first up for these metrics, is there a clear subject? If you want to know more on that, like go listen to episode four. It's got tons of stuff in there that's useful. Um, And then after you've determined, is there a clear subject, yes or no, because spoiler alert, there should be a clear subject. After you've determined that, then you have to ask yourself, does the way that you've arranged the elements within your image support that subject? And that can be in a multitude of ways. So this is where we can start to get into like different compositional rules. So negative space, leading lines, repetition, symmetry, all of that kind of stuff. But really the way that you have structured your image should support the viewer interacting with the subject of your image. And then the third and last category I would have would be like a content category or an artistic category. Really like what is the story 
in the image? And what are the feelings that I want people to have when they look at this image? It can be helpful to think about the images that you're looking through and trying to choose and trying to rate here. What are the feelings that you're associating with them? And then also figuring out like, why am I associating that with them? Is it based on what I was feeling when I'm out there? Is it based on past experiences with this particular subject? All of that kind of stuff. Because once you can start to identify that, then you can start to identify, is it communicating that? And that's the point. We want people to feel stuff. We want people to enjoy our images um, and bringing that across in the story of the image, in the quote, art of the image is something that I think is integral to everything that we post. Some images are going to do a better job than that than others. So that's a way that you can go in and you can start to create like a little technical metric and then put your images through it rate them, see how they come up. Now, here's the here's the fun part. I want you to pay attention. After you've done that, let's say like you're doing a rating of 10. And so you have your three separate ones. So the highest that you can get is 30. And let's say you have one image that's a 25, one that's a 28, one that's a 20. And you look at it and you're like, frig, this image is a 20, but I really like this image. Okay, then stop use that image, okay? (laughs) Throw everything out that you just did. Sometimes, I'm not saying you have to always do that, but sometimes when we look at things in a very technical structured way, and then the answer we get is actually not the one that we want to get, but we had to do it to realize that that's not the answer we wanted. And other times it'll just be like, all right, this one is a clear winner. Like, actually, I really kind of thought this image was good, but now I see it doesn't add up. So no, I'm not going to use this one. Okay, so that is a little bit about figuring out individual images. But now collections need to work together. So here's how I put together my final collections. Step number one, and I I alluded to this already, if you've been staying present here with me on the podcast, I said, I like to look at the images together. And that is my step number one. When I am putting together my collections, and this is after I've shot them, I look at all of the images together. The first place where I look at them is in Bridge. So it's the same thing. I create a folder. I start putting stuff in there. And I will tend to use labels just because it's an easier way to see stuff in Bridge. And I'll have it in the preview panel and I'll see all of my images together. It's nice if I'm doing this on my external monitor, which is a little bit bigger so I can see things a bit bigger. And I'll just like, okay, select all of them. And then I will uh, control click, command click uh, on a Mac here and deselect one and then see what that group of images looks like together. Or I might add one or two back in and see what all of those images look like together. And as you add one or take away another one, you're gonna see how the different images are interacting with each other. That's my first step. The next step is to actually print these things and get them off of the dang computer, okay? So get them off of a screen. And when I was putting together my images for the gallery, I had these ideas for like, okay, here are the types of images I want to have. I don't want to have people in them. I don't want to have a lot of structures in them. I want them to be more of natural landscapes, but I still had a lot of images that I could use. So I printed them all. 
I printed, I think it was 25 images that I had culled it down to. And we ended up doing 11 images in the gallery. And I printed them all out and I taped them on the wall. If you came into my house through the front doors, in our, we have this really big entryway, which is lovely. Um, on the wall, all of the photos are taped up there. And they were up there for a couple weeks. Sometimes it would fall down when my son would be like playing um, hall ball, as we call it, playing with balls inside. He'd throw them and hit the picture. He's like, oh, sorry, mommy. But it was all good. I had them up there so I could see them together. And for me, so that I could kind of live with the images for a little bit. And as I went, I would start to take down a couple. I say, no, I don't think this one works. No, I don't think this one works. Now, do you have to do it for that period of time? No, you don't have to. But when you take them and you print them all out and you look at them together, it's a very different experience than just seeing them on the computer. And I'm hearing, oh, but Christine, I don't have a printer. How often do I hear that? You don't have to, like, you don't have to go and spend a ton of money getting really good prints done. You can print these like just a color copy, you know, go to Staples or whatever a copy store is and just do like the the 15 or 30 cent prints, eight and a half by 11, just to get a visual. They don't have to be perfect. You know the detail, you know what exists in that. You just need to get them out and see them all side by side. And then you can take some away and see how does this look all together without those pieces? And then maybe put another piece back in. How does it look all together? Because ultimately, that's the litmus test. Does it communicate the feelings, the thoughts, the ideas that you have about the images when you look at this collection? And if you take a piece away, does it feel like it's not finished? Or maybe you might look at it and put them all together and say, wow, I didn't realize. Like for me personally, I was like, okay, well, I have all of these shots here that are all the beach. I actually really quite like the coastal granite that we have, but I only have like two shots of that. Well, I'm going to go ahead and create a couple more. It might also lead you to, well, maybe I need to be creating this or maybe I need to be creating something else. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about here is what if you feel like you don't have a collection in you? If you're thinking to yourself, this all sounds great, but I'm not really there. You know, I don't actually have anything that I think I can put together as like an idea. Maybe I don't think of myself as an artist that much yet, in which case go back and listen to episode nine. Perhaps it just seems a little bit out of reach for where you are right now. Well, yes, we do have to pay attention to technique. We do have to learn skill. But I'm a firm believer that as we start to actually do the deeper work with our images, we start creating things that are that much better. And a collection is literally just an idea that goes throughout all of your images. So if you feel like you're not quite there yet, I want you to start paying attention because I bet after you listen to this episode, you're going to start to notice some things. You're going to start to be thinking about some things. So the first thing I want to tell you, patterns mean pay attention. This is something my business mentor said to me, and it really, really hit home with me. The idea that if you are coming up on the same thing over and over, 
that means you should be paying attention. There might be something more there, and there might be something that you can pull into a collection that's really meaningful for you. I had one of my students go through uh, this bonus course I have called Images with Impact, and they came up with this really, really profound um, understanding of their images that they had never had before. And they said, you know, I have always really liked these images with reflections in them. And it actually came back to the story of something that happened in their life when there was a near drowning experience that was um, a pet had been in the water, they went in to rescue it. And it was a very, very intense experience. And all of a sudden, now they're like, I'm seeing that in my images. I'm drawn to taking those types of images. They noticed the pattern and then they were able to go back and see where that came from. You can do that with just regular life. And that will start, you'll start to see patterns. You'll start to see these things that are happening again and again in your life. And that says, okay, pay attention to that. And that kind of leads me into my next point, which is like the best work that I see out there when I go looking at like documentary photography work, um, people who have spent the time to document different things in life, the best work is done by people who live and breathe their content. There's this one series that I absolutely love and it's by a photographer who was not a photographer to start out. He's a fisherman, but he took his camera with him and started documenting everything that was going on on all of these crazy like deep sea fishing and the images are so, so impactful. And you might feel like, oh, Christine, like, that's not me. I know, of course not. I'm not expecting that you are a deep sea fisher and you're out and you're like doing epic things and taking Milky Way photos while you're doing it. A little bit hard. Those boats move quite a bit. But you do have things that are specific and unique to you. And so lean into that. I know there's this world of like looking at what everyone is doing and wanting to like create awesome stuff like other people are doing, but I want you to start paying attention to what you're called to do. And at this point, you may also be starting to get some interesting feelings coming up. Like, I have this thing that I'm interested in, but you know, people probably won't care or people might not think that's interesting. Well, earlier in this episode, I pointed out there's a lot of people in this world And there are going to be people out there that are going to really connect with the work that you do. Those people might not be in your um, specific social network right now. They may not be people who have seen your work yet, Um, but they're there. And the idea of finding those people and getting out there and connecting with people on social media and all of that. That's a conversation for another day. But the place where that starts is doing things that are authentically you. And so knowing that your ideas inherently have value and then having the courage to go out and do it. You know, I love one of my masterclass students, Jack, and I was just recording a bonus episode um, where my masterclass students talked all about like their whys. And Jack goes out and shoots in cemeteries and graveyards. And that's not for everyone, but it is for a lot of people. And a lot of people are going to draw a lot of connection from that. And I love that he's going out there and he's doing what's true to his creative self. And that's what I want from you. And as we start doing that, and as we are very, very specific 
in our thoughts about creating our work, then it makes it easier to draw these through lines between our work, to present ourselves, to have more of an idea of just who we are as a photographer and what lights up our creative soul. So thank you for being here with me today. I would really love to know what resonated with you from today's episode. Uh, If you found the exercises helpful in here, if you're going to start curating your own collection of your work, I'd love you to screenshot this episode, share it in your stories with your thoughts on Facebook or Instagram, or even better, come over into our Facebook group, which is linked up in the show notes page at afterdarkphotographypodcast.com. We can continue the conversation there, which is so fun to do. So as always, thank you for listening today, and I will catch you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast episode today. If you're excited about night photography, but you don't know where to start, then listen on. This is for you. Well, hello, it's Christine. I am the host of the After Dark Photography Podcast, and I'm the founder of the Night Photography Academy. And if you don't know me, I have been a professional photographer since 2009 and teaching photography actually since 2008. When I first started teaching photography, it was to students who had excitedly just bought their first ever camera, or maybe who had a digital SLR sitting on a shelf, gathering dust, and they were finally ready to learn how to use it. Now, almost 15 years later, I find the same kind of people coming to me super jazzed about night photography, but frankly, overwhelmed at where in the heck to even start. For one, they haven't mastered using their camera on manual mode, let alone doing things like equivalent exposures, which is really the bedrock of night photography. And if that sounds like you, I have just the thing. I am giving you 100% free access to the first module of my Photography for Beginners Bootcamp. This was a hybrid online in-person class that I taught here in Nova Scotia before the pandemic happened. People would take the class online and then I would run field trips where we would go out and practice together. And I am giving you access to the first module completely for free. Unfortunately, field trips are not at this time available. Imagine that you know exactly what setting is the most important to use on your camera in any given situation based on, you know, what you want to create. What's that vision in your head? And not only that, you know how to do all that, but you also know how to troubleshoot. So maybe if things look too dark or too bright or too blurry or even too sharp, you will know exactly what to do to fix it and get the image you want. After going through this totally bingeable course, you will master manual mode on your camera and be able to confidently create beautiful images with your digital SLR or mirrorless camera. To sign up, go to christinerosephotography.com bootcamp. And that will be in the show notes too, if you just want to do a quick click and hop on over there. Thanks so much, and I can't wait to see you on the next episode.